For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program... Episode 201. Yeah, 201. A lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It'll be better than the first 200, I'm sure. And uh, on the program tonight, we're going to talk about the Molsons, actually, with Helen Antonio. She's an executive coach, but also the author of Back to Hockey and Beer, uh, which is uh, the the Eric Molson story. It is, and and she happens to be daughter in law of Eric Molson, married to Andrew, and uh, she was, I don't know, if she volunteered or whatnot, but she got the opportunity to write the the Molson story as told by Eric, uh, really warts and all, no holds barred. Uh, so uh, while Eric couldn't be here this evening, uh, Helen's gonna recount. Uh, some amazing parts of their story, and really, it's uh, we're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. So back to hockey and beer, so talking about, I'm assuming, some diversifying and then coming back to the core businesses. As well as some family issues and, and conflicts uh, and, and you know, just running a business as it is. Mm. Uh, there are some updates to the labor standards here in Quebec. Micheline Mayette, HR specialist with FL, will uh, update us on that later in the hour. And first, though, uh, because it is episode number 201, we still have our 200 episode contest happening so our 200th episode slash 10 year anniversary and basically we're looking for your nominations for an outstanding montreal entrepreneur that we have not spoken to on the program yet and please go to our facebook uh, our fl fuller landau facebook page twitter page twitter page twitter feed uh, or linkedin and if you go to the post uh, that is uh pinned to the top and you look at the 200th episode in the contest just uh, respond with your comment and nominate an entrepreneur and uh, we'll reach out to them the contest is open until this thursday at midnight uh, we'll choose on friday and contact the winners and announce them on monday so uh, if you know an entrepreneur and they want to share their their story on air and then uh, please go to our go to our social media pages facebook linkedin and twitter fl fuller landau and uh, nominate the entrepreneur I just sent out a tweet as well uh, at twitter.com slash Dan Delmar. So you can tweet at uh, myself and FL and they'll take note of your nomination there. All right. Entrepreneurial news and notes before we get to Helen. Uh, first, let's talk about uh, small businesses. Is, is there a worker shortage in Canada right now, Josh? You know, I, it certainly seems that way. You know, the, there is no question that uh, regardless which client that I've been talking to or just even some contacts and friends, it's always, I don't have enough people or I don't have the right people. Uh, it's either talk about upgrade or adding. It's talked about always surrounding yourself and it is a struggle. And it's interesting, you know, when I'm, you know, whenever listening to radio or, or going online and seeing, it's unbelievable the amount of, whether it's headhunting emails uh, or, or banner ads uh, or, or, or ads on radio, there is a constant, constant, constant need for people, and you can see it just in the services that are providing. Uh, you know, there was there was a, an article in the in the Financial Post, and BDC uh, they were saying that you know, 15 years ago there were about over 200,000 employees like ready to come to the workforce, uh, just ready and waiting to come in, and now it's it's about half of that. So it is it is definitely definitely dwindling, and. Uh, then, then it's a question of, okay, if it's dwindling and you need employees, well, how do you differentiate yourself? Because if there's so many people looking, then you really got to find your way. 
cannabis and AI. Let's talk about comparing the two. This is an interesting article. And cannabis, you know, there's not really a whole lot of opportunities in Quebec, especially with all of that sort of being centralized with, within the government. And we, we see how that's going downtown and stuff. So uh, the real opportunity, I think, is Montreal's AI sector, which is really the Wild West. And there's so many opportunities there. Um, is, is this really the, the industry that, uh, that, that we should be focusing on more, at least in terms of media attention? I, I think, as you said, Dan, you know, it, it's a question about opportunity. And AI is still quite nascent. You know, uh, marijuana, cannabis, uh, that, that we'll say instead of all the other fun terms, cannabis, there's only so much that can change and only so much you could do with it. AI, you know, one of the hot tech areas in Montreal, you know, where we, we've kind of built a little bit of reputation in the tech side. There is so much more to develop, and we, it's been around for a number of years. But there is so much more that that can come out of it. So, absolutely, I think from a development standpoint, from from an opportunity standpoint, there's no question that that AI is part of it. And of course, we're talking about tech too. It's uh, you know it it might outlast the cryptocurrency. It might you know cryptocurrencies and blockchains were going to change the world last year. Um, now, I mean, it kind of just looks like they're. They're they're really there just to fix the plumbing of existing financial transactions. Uh, it's it, it, but AI really is going to power so many different things because it's all about facilitating the consumer's experience, the client experience. That client experience is it, everybody strives to improve, facilitate, uh, make, make uh, you know just anything that will get answers faster to the customer. So AI, there is absolutely huge opportunity. Here's one, and this is from another article from the Globe and Mail, how some entrepreneurs are cashing in on convenience uh, delivery apps. Now, uh, we've talked a lot about retail, the decline of retail and all of that, you know, the shift. Um, so one way that retailers are fighting back is to use some of these AI-powered delivery services to get their products into people's homes really quick so you don't have to go outside and, you know, go to the store. And, and you know, speaking of cannabis, people might get the munchies. So this company, uh, although it's it's not in Montreal, it's in, uh, it's in Toronto, is called Snacko. And basically, he is facilitating the lives of many, many people by using the, the softwares and the apps, the Uber Eats and the Fedoras and the, and, and, and the like, all like uh, that, and bringing snacks. So some people, you know, everybody's everybody's pretty much used to ordering meals online and and doing all that. This is just another category of food to uh, to hungry people, regardless of the night. And and really, between the AI and the the technology behind it, he's really just taken and said, you know what, it's not out there. We're going to facilitate the consumers' lives because that's what consumers want. They, you know, I don't want to say consumers are getting lazy, but you know, they're getting a little bit lazy. They are. Maybe, maybe because maybe because things <laughs> it's all are the becoming, it's all the pot. There you go. Maybe because things are becoming so convenient to get, it's really a tap of a few buttons, and you can have your favorite bag of chips at your door. So there is one company that I'm keeping my eye on here locally. It's called Golo. Have you seen these cars as they're being yes, around Montreal? So absolutely. This is one of these services. They're in Montreal, Quebec, and Toronto right now, and uh, they're doing just that. They're partnering with retailers to just ship, ship your stuff instantly, basically. You know, this is, I guess, before drones will truly come into play, where, you know, that will be a, a little more automated, and maybe we're not quite there yet with the food packages, but we're, I think we're really darn close. All right. Uh, let's talk about networking tips, um, how to overcome networking anxiety. I guess I'm kind of networking anxious, but I just don't like it. That's, that's, I don't know if it makes me anxious. I just find uh, it unpleasant. I don't know, Dan. Uh, and I know nobody knows that you're uh, occasionally an introvert, <laughs> uh, introvert. But, uh, but definitely there, there, there are some 
you know, and, and you'd, you'd think that they're obvious, but, it, you know, it came across an article on Inc.com. And it's funny, one of the, the first thing that they say is plan like it's an invasion, like really map out what you're going to do in this networking conference. Uh, remind yourself why you're going to the event. Do research on who might be there. Give yourself a timetable. Uh, you know, plan if you're really not used to just winging it, well, then absolutely plan it out to the to whatever degree possible. Uh, and then there's there's the few other little tricks and and uh, and tips. You know, when you're holding a drink, hold it in your left hand so that when you're going to reach out and shake somebody's hand, it's not all wet and you know and cold Good and maybe clammy. So hold your drink in your left hand. Uh, food. Sometimes there's amazing food there. You know what? Sometimes you need to avoid the food. If you ha- if you're prone to getting stuff caught in your teeth. Do you really want to leave that as a first impression? So, you know, and sometimes the food is not necessarily the easiest thing to eat. So you might look like a bit of an animal. There's, there's some, there's some great tips, you know, just quickly, you know, have a firm handshake, but not too firm. Uh, You know, make eye contact. Don't keep looking away. Um, And then of course, I think one of the, one of the the harder ones is always have something to say, always have that conversation starter or always have that you know, read up on the news so you can always make make a comment. It's okay to ask people about their vacation, even if it's not related to your field. Just something that, that can get you into a comfortable zone. Uh, and, of course, you know, don't overstay your welcome. Once, you're, <laughs> once you're done, you know, move on. I'll add to the list, uh, don't show off too much. Because whenever I'm at these networking events, you know, you always get trapped in at least one conversation with someone who's going to tell you about the award they won in 1997. And I'm like, eh. Okay, give me a bit. This is a conversation. <laughs> uh, listen, ego ego plays a big role in networking. So how do you manage your own and how do you deal with others? That's, uh, that's also something that you get used to with time. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. Coming up next, our guest will be Helen Antonio, executive coach and the author of Back to Hockey and Beer, the story of Eric Molson. We'll talk about the Molsons and their businesses tonight on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And we're going to talk about an outstanding family that we all know here in Montreal, the Molsons, of course. And joining us in studio is a member of the Molson family, Helen Antonio. She's uh, an executive coach, but also the author of Back to Beer and Hockey, the story of Eric Molson. Helen, welcome to CJD. Thank you. And, you know, while it's kind of obvious what the book is about, maybe you can just kind of set the tone on on, on really what it, what it covers. Yes, the book is actually uh, a chronicle of Eric Molson's life. Eric Molson is the sixth generation Molson to be a controlling shareholder of the brewery. He is the father of uh, Jeff Molson, who's probably well known to your audience, and, uh, and, my, and my husband, Andrew Molson. And um, he was at the brewery for, worked at the brewery for 50 years. And so basically the book covers the modern story of the Molsons and, and how the, it's a parallel story between Eric's journey as well as the story of the brewery and how it became a global brewer. Now, when you're, when the idea to write the book, yeah, but did that come from Eric himself? No, no, you have to know Eric is, is Eric is someone who is very much behind the scenes kind of guy. Eric is, first of all, he's a chemist and, and at the basis of all, he is a brewer. He's a, 
you know, certified brewmaster. Uh, when he did his master's at Princeton, he um, studied yeast. He really is a scientist, a chemist, and a brewer first and foremost. And um, so he is not someone who was is going to be, you know, out there to tell a story. It was more our idea that we wanted to engage Eric in a project. So we thought, you know, Eric, there's a few things that you've learned in your 50 years and maybe you could share them. If I was an expert in yeast, I probably, you know, <laughs> wouldn't come out of my shell either. Yeah. Uh, so when he, but he was, you know, and he, he led the company. I know sixth generation and he was a master brewer, but he did lead the company. When did, when did he take on as, whether it was chairman, CEO, what was his title? He then? did. Eric started out as a, you know, as a quality control guy in the, just on the factory uh, shop. And then he moved up. He became uh, president of Molson Breweries Canada um, in the early 80s. And then in 1988, he took on the role of becoming chairman of the board of the Molson companies. It was known back then. And it wasn't just a brewery back then. When he became chairman, it was a conglomerate that was in all sorts of businesses. It was in beer. It was in chemicals. It was it owned like parts of Home Depot. It, it was in retail. So it was in all, um, it was in hockey with the Canadians. So it was a conglomerate in all sorts of different businesses when he became chairman in 88. Now, did did he have a different vision? Well, he, he when he went through the operations, when he started working at Molson and all the way throughout until he went to this role of chairman, he was always worked in the brewery division. So he always loved beer and stayed with beer. His the the strategy or the decision to diversify was one that was taken by his predecessors, his uncle and his father, and he followed along uh, with this decision uh, because obviously at one point he thought they knew best and it was it made sense because of the market and because of everything that was going on and they couldn't actually Molson's had grown you know Molson became a public company in 1945 and. Until from the time it was founded in 1786 to 1945, it operated exclusively within the province of Quebec. And they became public in 1945 in order to be able to expand and to grow, um, you know, in, in Ontario was the next brewery. So between 1945 and the end of the 1950s, Molson grew to have breweries all across Canada and became the second largest brewer of Canada. And then Molson tried to grow in the States, and the antitrust authorities of the U.S. blocked them. So they couldn't go in the States, and so they had all this cash flow, and they decided diversification was the answer. Back to Eric Molson and how he started the company. I'm curious because we we talked to uh, a lot of entrepreneurs on the program who, who have family businesses and who sort of make a point about going in on the ground level. Was that was that part of the Molson family culture, that you have to sort of go onto the floor and, and see how that that frontline business works? Yeah, it's it's uh, in the book there's actually a set of principles because what you uh, about the Molson family principles it's quite rare that you have a family that lasts till the seventh generation. I think the statistics are they last 30% last the second 12% to the third and less than 3% to the fourth and beyond and so one of their principles is that the people have to be, if you're involved in the business you have to be knowledgeable and to be knowledgeable the best way to be knowledgeable is to work, you know, from the ground up to work in the factory, to get to know the people, to get to know the culture, to get to know the operations. So, so when Eric came in and he, he kind of wanted to get, you know, back to beer. Yes, uh, and it was this whole diversification. Did he did he lock heads or horns with anybody? Because somebody obviously was part of this whole diversification. How how do you kind of go about reining it back in? Yeah, it it this diversification got 
so much, so so diversified. It got to the point where they were actually selling off parts of the brewery in order to finance these other divisions. So, and it was selling a, off the profitable parts of the brewery. Well, yeah, but they were saying, well, it's a it's a it's a saturated market; they can't grow it, so they're selling it. And it was the most profitable part of the business. And in fact, it got to the point where Molson's was owned by three different players. Uh, Molson owned forty percent, not even a majority stake, but Foster's owned forty percent, and Miller owned twenty percent. And so, so Eric. At one point, you know, so he got went along with diversification, and this is interesting for your entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, you got to follow your passion, you got to follow what you, you know, you really believed in and understand. And Eric, for the longest time, actually just went along with a strategy that was defined earlier by his predecessors, and it was at one point he was like, enough is enough, and he decided to follow his passion and um, take the company back and buy back all these other pieces and become a hundred percent. What kind of areas did the the company diversify in? So it got into the chemicals business. So they they owned a company called Diversi, uh, which is into chemicals of cleaning products and all that kind of stuff. It owned um, retail. There was Beaver Lumber. There was Home Depot. So there's all these retail chains that they owned. Um, they owned, um, you know, the entertainment business. They owned the hockey business. And they sold the hockey business. Back when they did that whole strategy of going back to beer, they literally – you know, sold everything off, including hockey, which was very, you know, you can imagine someone, Eric loves hockey. But how many, time, how many times <laughs> do they own the team? Well, they've owned it <laughs> a few times. It's been, I think it's been like three times. Like I haven't actually, because between the individuals owning it and the brewery owning it, and now back to the individuals owning it, when I say individuals, I mean, it was owned first by Eric's father, uh, Tom, and his uncle Hartland. And then they sold it, those two sold it to some cousins who then sold it to the Bronfmans, and then the brewery bought it back from the Bronfmans because um, Eric was worried that Labatt's was going to get it, so he made the sure the brewery got it back from the Bronfmans. And then um, and then going back to beer meant selling off um, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and then, as we know, the latest story with uh, Jeff and his brother, um, Andrew and Justin, who... Uh, who convinced the, Eric to who get Who convinced back Eric, literally. Eric was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, did, what was his first reaction? Well, Eric is like, you know, it's, you know, Eric's a great fan, but he just didn't think it was like the best, you know, it's a, it's a hard business to be in. I mean, there's a lot of cycles, you know, you make the playoffs, you, you make a lot of money, you don't, you're down. In the, so it's very, very cyclical. So, so Eric's like, you know, we've done this before, but there's a huge uh, sense of, um, you know, responsibility that comes with this team. It's, it's more than just a team for this for the city, as we all know. So, you it's stressful know. for us all, I can it, only imagine. It, yes, it's very <laughs> stressful. Uh, so we're having a chat about uh, the Molsons and, the, and their family businesses with Helen Antonio. She's a, a member of the Molson family and the author of Back to Beer and Hockey, the story of Eric Molson. More with Helen in a moment. Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmo, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. And this evening, we're taking a dive into the Molson family history with Helen Antonio. She is a member of the Molson family and the author of Back to Beer and Hockey, the story of Eric Molson. So I promised a little drama, Josh. Uh, this is common <laughs> in all family businesses, yes. not just the Molsons, yeah. uh, but there, there's been some drama over the years. There is. And, and, and I think, you know, Helen, you can probably set the stage the best you know as as the company was kind of 
undiversifying and going back to beer yeah. uh, and bringing in other family members and you know getting getting involved with cores and all that. So maybe you can kind of set the stage for this one. Yeah, well, it was it was actually you're, it's exactly that it was part of the going back to beer strategy. There was um, a cousin who lived um, in the UK who's a banker and who's very had a lot of skill. His name is Ian Molson, who has uh, a lot of knowledge and talent in terms of banking and M and A. So um, Eric, you know, Eric and him talked, and Eric, who was at the on chairman of the board at the time, thought, you know. Ian's skills and his competence could be used in order to do all these M&A activities they had to get through in order to go back um, to beer. Ian also had some voting shares, and so it all made sense. So um, Eric brought him in, and uh, they worked very closely together for a number of years to um, divest themselves of all these other businesses and buy back the portion of the beer business that they didn't own. And, and Ian had this expertise, and yeah, and it wasn't in Eric's wheelhouse at the moment. And it was no, Eric is not a financier; he knows the beer business, but that's you know he he um, so it, it worked really well. Um, then, as they started to, they they finally did make it back to beer. I don't know if you remember that ad, the the rant, Joe Canadian, the, of the rant, mm-hmm. yes, classic, the, yeah. the classic. So that was when they actually back to beer and we are mm. Canadian so that was the big launch point and then a few years later they they tried to execute on the second part of the plan which was Eric not only wanted to go back to beer but he wanted Molson's to expand internationally so how do you expand internationally so they did some deals and one of the deals they did is that they got they invested in a brewery in Brazil and unfortunately, the brewery in Brazil, that investment wasn't going so well. And as is often the case, when things don't go well, that's when you start seeing the tensions. And the tensions did um, started to manifest themselves. And in the book, we see how they evolve at the board level. This is one of the insights of the book, which is kind of cool, is that you do get to see something that you don't often see, which is inside boardroom dynamics. People don't get to see that. And um, this, the dynamics started shifting between Ian and Eric. So from the perspective of someone watching this this multi-generational family business, what advice would you give to to family business owners who maybe haven't worked out their own conflict resolution system? You know, how can how can you make sure that everyone in the family uh, gets along and uh, and is willing to put aside the personal stuff to get business done. Yeah, that's <laughs> God the the million dollar question. Uh, but must be must be different for every family because everybody has their their buttons to push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is. But I think the fundamental. I mean, it it sounds so basic, but the the importance of communication is just so. Uh, huge, and if you don't have the communication, is at least give yourself the opportunity to have these. It might sound um, formalistic to have like meetings and family council meetings or whatever you might want to call it. But if you have, if you set up these forum with family members that are be, not just around the kitchen table, but actually set some meetings up to, in order to exchange information and talk and do it in a more even in a more formal way. It forces the conversation. So it really is about. Um, you know, the conversation about proper listening, about understanding each one's, um, you know, interests and what they what what they want to get out of the business. So coming back to Eric and Ian and yes. that part of the story, Brazil's not happening. A little Brazil's, bit of little bit of pushing. Yeah. Push so what do you? The- so the question then becomes, what do you do next? So then you have two different philosophies that start to emerge in terms of the perspectives. You have Eric's perspective. You see, is Eric is someone who's in this business for the long term. He is someone who wants to make sure. Sure, this enterprise lasts to the next, not not the next ten years, but the next two hundred years. You know, he is someone who really acts as a steward to this company. And Ian had a different perspective. He's a banker. He's a money maker. So he was more like, okay, well, how 
what is the kind of deal that we can get uh, to make the most profit in the shortest term? Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of the debate that started happening. So there was discussions then of, okay, we are in this difficult situation with Brazil. Coors was in a similarly difficult situation. They'd made a, they'd made a difficult investment in the UK at the time that was taking up a lot of resources. And they realized that, well, alone, they might become subjects of a takeover. But together, they realize, okay, we can actually uh, make a deal happen and make this grow. Um, so the idea was, okay, let's get together. We'll do a merger of equals, of equals, which is something that I don't think you've we hear often. A merger mm-hmm. of equals is when it more takeovers you kind of hear. Yeah, you, well, yes, and more takeovers are much more appealing to to shareholders because there's a huge premium that comes with takeovers. In a, a merger of equals, it's just a swap of shares. You know, just. So it's not- and, but the shareholders or the board still has to vote. And if the shareholders yes. aren't getting a benefit, then the the board has a d- tough decision to make. Right. So then – so you you might say – so in, in Molson's, there is a dual – what's known as a dual-class share structure. So there is – the family has control through voting shares and the other shares are non-voting shares. But with the transaction, which is the size of – the kind of transaction of doing a merger of equals with cores, you needed to have the agreement of two-thirds of both the voting and the non-voting shareholders. And so like I said, many shareholders are like, well, wait a minute. Where's the gravy? I'm not getting – there's no premium here and I'm getting it. So the Molson Board of Directors decided to issue um, a special dividend. So $5 per share if the merger of equals with cores was approved. Now, Eric- We don't call it bribery. We call it good business. <laughs> good business tactics. Well, so because of the perception that it might be seen as Eric is doing this, is promoting this, is like pushing for this deal because he wants to get the special dividend, um, Eric decided to forego the dividend. And when I say he forewent the div- you know, he decided not to take the dividend, that represented yeah. a sum of $50 million. So he said no to a payout of $50 million because he thought that, you know... He believed in the deal. He believed in the deal and the long-term value of the deal. And today, Molson Coors is the third largest brewer in the world. And so, so, but, you know, on Ian's point, you know, you don't, you never knew that was going to work out that way. Murders are complicated, you know, getting two cultures together and having them work, you know, might not always pan out. So Ian was more into like, let's sell it to the highest, highest builder. You know, Heineken is going to give us huge money for this takeover, et cetera. Was it hard to part ways? Was it an easy? No, uh, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. I don't think it was easy to part ways. I mean, the way it turned out was uh, they had a divergence in terms of the strategy to adopt. So um, that divergence became public, um, I think. Nobody likes that. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I don't think it was a difficult parting of the ways. It was just one that was uh, that happened because. So, how does a next generation get selected? You know, is it is it you know are there heirs to the throne? Is it you have to work from the bottom up? Is there kind of a pruning of the tree? Like, like how does it? Again, what to, to Dan's earlier point, or I think you, whatever we said it, that we're sorry, interchangeable. You're okay. interchangeable. Sorry, guys. Uh, it, it is very specific. Each case is very, very different. Some families actually have specific rules about, you know, we will only have one family, you know, the eldest or the whatever. The, the, the principles that the Molson family or that Eric's branch follows are set out in the book, and and part of them are, you know. 
you're 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 very knowledgeable about the, about the business. If you're going to be in a governance role, you have you let the CEO do his or her job. So you're CEO centric. You are involved in the strategy. You are involved in the direction setting, but you're not involved in the you know in the operations. You let the managers do their job. Uh, you are there's obviously all these rules about no nepotism, no favoritism, no no taking advantage. And so how did just just quickly uh, before we kind of move on. How did Eric deal with his own transition out of his role? Uh, out of his role from uh, from president from or from whatever, chairman from to his sons because yeah, yeah. his sons his exactly. sons are now exactly. the ones that are on the board. Well, actually, he did it be- really incredibly. That's really to his credit because one of the fa- one of the reasons sometimes these transitions don't happen very well is because the older generation is you know holds on to power. It's it's very difficult, especially when it's a it's the founder entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to let it. To, to pass on the baton to the next generation. And Eric did it just, you know, he trusted his sons. He, you know, you give your children, you know, an education. You watch them that they have the right values. You you set the right example. And, you know, it's basic. We It's not, you don't have to be the head of a huge multinational to, to do that. I think it's basic principles that we all follow raising our families but it really starts from the top and he was able to impart that knowledge and those values so yes that's, yes. that's what makes definitely for an easier transition helen you're gonna hang around we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur from perhaps the molson family uh, book of wisdom I hope. <laughs> uh, also uh coming up next we're going to talk about hr with michin mayette our hr specialist at fl there's some changes to the labor standards code in quebec she'll update us on that and that's all on the way For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's entrepreneur. And coming up, we'll have Helen's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, uh, direct from uh, the Molson Family Book of Wisdom. That should be interesting. That's on the way. Uh, But first, Mishin Mayette is here, HR specialist at F.L., uh, to talk about changes to labor standards in Quebec. Welcome back, Micheline. Hi, Dan. And uh, Josh, obviously, this is going to be seamless and easy on entrepreneurs. Uh, How how easy is this, Micheline? (laughs) And, and, you know, and Dan, at the top of the hour, as we were talking off air, we, you know, we were talking about labor shortage and mm-hmm. you know we, we weren't saying that Quebec you know was pro-employee or anything because they, they really think about the general public but but some some of the, what are maybe some of the the issues that that came up uh, Michelin that that employers and entrepreneurs just need to know about mm-hmm. well I think you know in a way it's old news because the new law came out in June um, but you know what was real what they were really trying to do was increase um, you know work-life balance if you will especially for families so that was really one of the key messages that came out of it um, just what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are not aware of these changes, and a lot of them actually take effect in January. So I thought it would be a good idea maybe to talk about it a little bit more uh, tonight. So one of the main things is, um, you know, they've increased entitlement for certain things. So, like, for example, employees will get three weeks of vacation instead of two. Um, once they hit their three years of service, there'll be some paid sick days, which didn't exist before. Um, the other thing that's interesting is the the right to refuse to work. So... Employees can now refuse to work if they don't have their schedule five days in advance. So that's something interesting for, you know, you think of retailers, restaurants, restaurants, yeah, yeah, exactly. They can refuse to work, um, you know, over more. We were talking about labor shortage earlier Mm -hmm. and how, you know, what can we do to kind of attract labor? If you do make some of these changes, Mm -hmm. 
okay, you have to comply with the law, I get it. But if you make do make some of the changes, that might also attract people to say, hey, maybe I can have a little bit more planned life and, and have... Well, that was the idea behind it. Because, I mean, what they're looking at is families who has you know have employers who will change their work schedule all the time at the last minute, or they don't know what their work schedule is until the day before. So it's to you know allow people to plan a little bit better um, to go get their kids at daycare and stuff like that. Um, the other thing is they're allowing for two paid, you know, it could be sick days or family days. So people who want to, who need to miss work for their children, for example, who are sick, uh, will get two paid days off per year. I mean, the reality is a lot of companies already give two days paid or if not more than that, but there was some employers still that weren't giving any paid time off. So it's really to help, you know, these employers catch up, I guess, with the with with other employers that were already more generous. And what if, you know, somebody wanted was needed to take way more time off? Does that you know, is there anything in for that or that's still Yeah, uh, they've also they've also increased the leaves uh, for a lot of different types of absences. So for example, uh, victims of violence, um different types of sick leaves for children. Yeah. Anything uh, similar to what France was doing in terms of uh, communicating to your employees off hours by phone or email? No, there's nothing there yet. It's it's actually interesting because Ontario also changed their labor standards a year ago. Um, if you read the changes to Ontario, they actually you know were catching up with Quebec's old law in, in many different areas. But that's one thing that they were looking at was the on call. Um, you know they have to now pay. There's a minimum three hour rule, which kind of exists in Quebec, but in Quebec it's only if you actually work. I believe that they have to they have to pay it. So yeah, there's all these different issues that they're trying to address. That you know sexual harassment you know it's been uh, in the news so much now companies have to have a policy uh, which includes sexual harassment and um, a policy and con- like the process that employees can go through if they want to make a complaint so while before it was kind of recommended now all employers have to have this but if you if you had like you know talk about cannabis coming into the picture mm-hmm. you know really you should have had some type of policy um, you know for for drinking or for alcohol um, that you could apply to cannabis, maybe a little tweaking. Yeah, 100%, I, I presume it, yeah. it kind of applies to harassment. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you can have harassment. Whether you say it's psychological or sexual or whatever, it's still harassment. A hundred percent. I mean, the cannabis point um, is interesting too, because now companies are trying to come up with policies on cannabis. And it's funny how you know it really reflects the individual's values who's coming up with these policies. So some companies will have you know, a zero tolerance for possession of cannabis in the workplace. But if an employee went to buy a bottle of wine at lunch and kept it next to their desk for their supper that night, uh, usually wasn't an issue. So it's just interesting to see how companies are coming up with these policies and the type of decisions they're making around it. Anything else that, uh, you know, that's going to come into effect in January that uh, that you wanted to talk about or elaborate on? Um, those are the biggest changes. So it's really companies really have to look at what their policies are internally. There's also things um, that are not official yet. But if you look at like placement agencies, you hear a lot about uh, foreign workers coming and there's been some abuses sometimes. So they're looking at regulating uh, placement agencies. So they're going to need to get a license eventually. Um, also, the employers could be on the hook for unpaid wages and stuff like that, too. Um also, companies have to make sure that they're paying their temporary workers the same wages that they pay their permanent employees. You know, you mentioned uh, harassment before. You refer to sexual harassment or what have you. What what quickly are the employers' requirements to do in that? Are they are they supposed to prevent it at all costs? 
Um, well, they're supposed to take measures to prevent harassment. So, I mean, you know, in the past, the most common one was to have a policy and to give some training. If they're aware of a situation that is harassment, then they have to take the means to put an end to it, to the situation. Although, and that could, I guess, mean various things. Could mean a whole bunch of different things. It could be and, disciplinary measures, termination, and, uh, uh, transferring the, employees. Yeah. The, listen, it's uh, the rules are meant to be interpreted, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess they're just trying to get as specific as possible. Thanks very much, Michelin. Yeah, great. a little bit of a minefield, but uh, hopefully there's some clarity in in some of the new laws. Yeah. And as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do each week, uh, we'll turn to our guest, Helen Antonio, uh, the author of Back to Beer and Hockey, and uh, ask her what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. I think that, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and I, I think it's important to be very well surrounded in whatever business you're about to, to do or in your business that you're embarked in. Eric, in his story, always talks about the people that were, you know, his close advisors. He calls them silver foxes and, and, um, and he would always look for someone who had a complementarity in terms of his own skill set, you know, and so I think if you look to, to surround yourself well, I think you can ask yourself three basic questions, you know, first of all, you, you you look in terms of competence, the person, can you help me? And then you look in terms of compassion, do you care for me or for what I'm trying to do? And then finally, I think you look in terms of character, you know, do you, can I trust you? Do we have the same values? So if you think about these three things um, in terms of, you know, competence, compassion and character um, and surround yourself well, you know, that, that Eric had some really trusted people around him that played a significant role and that enabled him to get to where he did. So that Excellent. was it. Thank you. And Dan, Thanks. you silver fox. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, Josh. <laughs> uh, my, my, my quick takeaway and, uh, and listening to the, to the story of Helen tonight and certainly uh, outside, outside and off air, it's uh, Eric Molson. I think he was just true to himself. And he he was you know it's it's back to beer and hockey, but I think he was all about always about back to basics mm-hmm. and yeah. really always building from the ground up. So thanks very much, Helen. Thank you. Thank thanks you so much for coming in. Fascinating story, Helen. Thanks to Michelin as well from FL with her HR tips. And uh, don't forget, Josh, uh, if you want to participate in our anniversary shindig, if you've been listening to this show for ten years and you say. I have this entrepreneur for you guys. Now's the time. We're, we have a, we're going to have a contest winner soon. Post, uh, just head over to the FL pages on both Facebook and Twitter. Send FL a and message. LinkedIn, and LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. And we'll take your nominations for who should be uh, in this chair uh, in a few weeks. Excellent. Thanks very much, Dan. Back next Monday night at 7. Take care.